hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Welcome back to a Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Toby Haydoke interview podcast. Hello, Hello. Toby. Hello. <laughs> We've reached 11 o'clock. We started at seven. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't give short answers. I'm terribly sorry. Uh, I tend to wander off in all sorts of different directions. I apologize. That, that's why I'm a patron to your podcast, you know, for that very reason. <laughs> He can segue. <laughs> <laughs> well, part three is essentially going to be an, uh, a small inquisition from yeah. uh, members of the hamster audience um, asking questions mostly about your later work, um, some books, uh, Quatermass, documentaries, podcasting. Yeah. I am going to start with a question from a gentleman of the name of Chris Chapman. Oh, him. Yeah. <laughs> I believe you may know. Uh, yes, I've, I've bumped into him every now and again. What Chris would like to know is, what's the craziest thing I've made Toby do? Um, oh, I think jump off a 18-foot tower, I think, uh, for Hado versus Havoc. Um, you know, we could have just interviewed all the old stuntmen. That would have been nice but uh chris chris thought well that you know that's why he's a very good documentary maker uh i mean i i, I you know i think i i would be naturally cautious about I, i'm a bit boring and i i i'm naturally askance at anything that sort of tries to to dress stuff up beyond you know the parlaying of facts and, and people i don't think you you know i always used to get annoyed with this week the politics show on the BBC where they'd have to go, and we shall do this piece on the uh, fiscal disharmony in the European Union with political correspondent Mark Mardell dressed as a rabbit. You know, you go, I'm fucking grown up and it's 11 o'clock. Uh, but uh, so I, I would be quite happy to have just interviewed the Havoc stuntmen. But of course, it's a good, it's a great film because you have Roy Scammell flying in on a plane. Uh, he's very ambitious, Chris. He always... He always tries to make it visually interesting, and he and he shoot and he gets the stuff shot really well. He uses excellent camera people. Um, oh, those, those drone shots he gets of uh, fantastic Hulu drone patients. shots, yeah. And he uses very good quality equipment. His stuff always looks great. I saw one and of those he, on the BFI screen, Toby, and it was extraordinary. I think yeah, it, although I, I have to say, I think you'll be able to date Doctor Who documentaries from the twenty tens, early twenty twenties. Uh, in the same way that you can date Doc Two stories from the seventies by the sideburns <laughs> and the flares and the kipper ties, uh, by the by the drone shots, you know, you go, oh, yes, they just got access to a drone, had they? <laughs> but they I mean, I'm drone. just pleased these documentaries have been made at all. You know, we are so lucky. Well, you know, I mean, if, again, I I I I fret sometimes that it looks like, um, you know, I'm part of some sort of gang and of. Uh, and have sort of cornered cornered the market here because I've, uh, you know, I'm 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 part of some sort of secret coven. Um, I, every time I think I'm finished on the Doctor Who range because the person that used to employ me has moved on, um, somebody else has employed me. So Chris, I didn't know Chris from Adam, uh, and I met Chris. Chris lived in Newcastle at the time, and he'd come to London, I think, to meet Dan Hall about something, and um. We met for a cup of tea. 
And it was about the time he just made his Ambassadors of Death documentary. And I was a bit pissed off to discover that he concentrated it on the stunt people because we'd just done the commentary and I'd had the bright idea of saying, well, why don't we get the stunt people in for a couple of the episodes? And nobody had spoken to anybody. And that's what used to really frustrate me about the range. So that's and somebody put on one of the forums. Well, I listened to the commentary episodes two and three, and then watched the documentary, and it was the same people talking about the same stuff. And it was like that is a reasonable complaint. <laughs> um, I mean, with ambassadors with seven episodes, we still did get quite a few people on the commentary, but it was a bit. Why is the right hand not t- talking to the left here? But anyway, um, uh, I was always pissed off about something in those days. Um, and <laughs> we, we we met for a cup of tea and he seemed like a nice chap. Um, and then, but I can't remember how we started working. I think, and I'd, because the first thing we did was looking for Peter, wasn't it? And I, I pitched that. That was an idea of, of, of mine. B- before Chris had been on it, there'd been a couple of other producers who were, who were, who I sort of knew who, who or people who wanted to produce, who were, who were pitching stuff to the range. Uh, and, and we'd been given a list of what was coming up uh, and, you know, any any ideas for this. And, and and I was thinking, what can we do for the sense rights? And I, I suddenly had a moment of, you know, light bulb of doing a kind of who do you think you are? But for Peter R. Newman and Mervyn Pinfield, because it was the only combo, I think, where the writer and the director were both dead or presumed dead before Doctor Who fandom had emerged. So it was a story where the two key players really behind the scenes we knew nothing about really uh and and, and so that had, and, and that had caught the eye of these these other two other guys i'd run it by but then but then something happened and dan decided he only wanted to use chris and i think ed stradling so and i can't remember then how it happened but i think chris had maybe asked me for some ideas so i went back to the, the other two guys and said look it looks like chris is doing the sense right so can i take that idea to him and they were like yeah yeah of course mate you know so i suggested it to chris because that seemed to be the one that just seemed like a good idea that seemed to fit and it was chris's idea then to go well we do know a bit about mervyn pinfield uh and and it would be better if it was condensed just to the to the one guy uh and so he he then made it looking for just peter solely and then you know the rest is history and and we made that so that's that was the first thing that we made together. But I seem to recall we did Haydock versus Havoc not long after. And that was that was his idea. He pitched that. So then he started to to use me. Um and then, you know, the DVD range came to an end. Uh and I thought, well, that's that then. That's it. And then Blu-ray started to come out. Uh and then suddenly you mop up a few commentaries. You thought, oh, that's nice. So, oh no, because I was doing a few commentaries on the on the animated ones. So little bits of Bob's dribbling then, and then you do that, and then Chris is making documentaries for the Blu-ray, and then suddenly you're on, and and yeah, it's but every every time I think it's the last one. You know, it's it's not like it's this sort of constant stream or this constant momentum. And I I'm waiting. I always wait for them to ask somebody else. Uh, but um, anyway, so yes. So Chris has asked me to do quite a lot of things, but I don't think anything's been as mad as, as uh, I mean, I think the cookbook was a silly idea, but it was, it was my oh, idea. We, we just, we just, I mean, I come up, favorites. I come up with that idea on camera in the Matthew Waterhouse documentary. And then when we were driving away from that or, or between locations, 
Chris said, uh, what about this cookbook idea? And I was like, yeah, this is never going to happen. But I sort of in, in, indulged him because Chris, Chris can get quite focused when he's when he hones in on something. You know, that's what makes him a good filmmaker. He can sort of blot everything else out and get to it. And I just thought, yeah, OK, but this isn't going to happen. He's, they're going to tell him to piss off. You know, he's going to pitch this and they're going to go, it's a ridiculous idea because I pitched it as a joke. Uh, and then we made it, and we run an RTS award for it. For God's sake! I mean, it might be the feature I've rewatched the most. Certainly not to make that um, absurd cheesecake that Nicola Bryant made. That sounded awful. Uh, yeah, well, and also that wasn't in the spirit of the documentary. We wanted to make stuff from the cookbook, but uh, although it was quite nice that Nicola and I have the same fridge, uh, oh. <laughs> and, and it was lovely actually. I stayed at because I was I was gigging <clears throat> in London the night night before, and Nicola, bless her, she's so sweet. She's she's very nice. Um, she um, she said, oh well, wh- why don't you come come to ours after the gig? So I actually stayed the night there. Um, I stayed at Nicola's house to be up fresh in the morning to make the documentary. So that was lovely. Uh, she's got a beautiful house. She's got a great eye. Beautifully, uh, beautifully done out house, uh, Nicola has. You know, um, uh, I've got to say, you said earlier, I don't know why they keep asking me, you know, honest, I can tell you why. It's because when I started that looking for Peter document, I was like, oh, they're not going to find anything on this guy. Like everything's been researched. Andrew Pixley, they've all had a go, uh, all of them. Um, and as soon as I heard your voice at the beginning of that, I was like, oh, yeah, we're in good hands here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I actually, I, I didn't do the research for that. I wasn't allowed to. That's all credit to that goes to Richard Bignall, because the whole thing was that I discovered pretty much everything on, on camera. Um, I, you know, Chris had told me we got. I mean, a week before we didn't have a show. A week before, Chris said we've not, we've not found anything. We've drawn a blank, and so I emailed Richard Bignall about something else and said, "Oh, shame you." didn't come up trumps with Peter R. Newman. That would have been great. And he went, I've just got one more thing to try. And then we were on. But it was really touch and go. Look, a we trail might of breadcrumbs, wasn't it? It was fascinating. Yeah. yeah, but I didn't do... I have done original research since, and I have found out stuff that we only know because I found it, and I'm, you know, I'm pleased about that. So, I, yeah, I, I you know, I, 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 I can research, but uh, I'm not in the same league as... Uh, as as Richard and and some others who have done done some great work and certainly on on that show that was uh, that was that was all Richard's research uh, he 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 laid the breadcrumbs and I I pecked up behind him um, but we genuinely found out something what I love about that is that we found out something when that documentary was released we were telling everybody that bought it something they didn't know. You know, quite often you watch a documentary, you go, oh, I know that anecdote or I know that. I generally know that this was a fraught production or where this was filmed or this was the one where this went wrong or that they filmed it at that location. That nobody knew at the beginning of that documentary what they knew by the end of it. And I'm really happy, really pleased with that. And of course, nobody coming to it now will have that because, of course, immediately some somebody goes and updates Wikipedia with everything that somebody else has found out. So, you know, the the luster is taken from it. But for that, for that, for that moment, it uh, you know it stood it stood as as something that I as a as a consumer had I not had any involvement with at all had I bought the sense rights DVD and that documentary had been on with that information on it I would have been over the moon because it was like oh brilliant they found the thing and that's what I always try to have would I want to take fact aside the fact that I'd have to watch myself in it and uh, the fact that I'm 
my ties poking out of my waistcoat there or the, <laughs> my, my shoes looking shit oh i'm looking fat on that shot or oh, i wish i'd had a proper haircut or why is my t-shirt dangling out the bag of, oh god and, and and then also somebody will point that out on facebook as well you don't have to um fascinating insight into your mind uh, this <laughs> uh and uh uh but that yeah that 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 i think we yeah we, i always i i always think if if it's telling if 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 it's if it's a documentary that i would be really happy to watch uh i i, I you know I'm, I'm very very happy i'm afraid i can't say that about the cookbook i'm delighted that people like it but um uh it it, it doesn't tell you anything about doctor who no, it doesn't even tell you anything about actors, the history of the terrible cookbook. food. It's absolutely hilarious. Is it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> and and plus, you interact with them all so wonderfully as well. Oh, I love it. I love oh, it. I'm, I'm not just. Dis- I'm not disparaging them. And I'm. It's obviously you know. It's it's. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted by the feedback that it's had, and it's it's you know people have really really enjoyed it. But um, I'm uh, I, I'm I'm. I'm baffled it got made, and I'm de- <laughs> I'm delighted that people like it. But um, I, I'm, I'm prepared to risk your bafflement for my enjoyment. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Actually, the one I'll tell you, the one that was the most educational for me. Uh, I mean, the Peter on the Moon one was absolutely, but it was the David Whittaker one, um, where I just I feel like that all that information was there. And I just never went looking. And so to have all that assembled and that yes. story told, that I mean, to me is probably the most valuable one I've watched. I'll always be fondest of the Peter Newman one because it was the first and because he was a genuine mystery. Um, but I think they've all been they've all been legitimate. Um, the Whitaker one, I was surprised. I thought we would there were there were obscure figures who deserved a look that I thought people would be more interested in because they're more, mis- like Mervyn Pinfield, say, um, or even Ron Grainer or somebody like that, you know. And I and when Chris pitched it, well, he didn't pitch it, he said, shall we do this? And I went, all right. But I thought, is is he, does he really qualify? You know, Lenny Main, we were, we, I knew we could, we could reclaim him from his death. That's what I wanted to. Lenny Main was the guy that died in the boat accident. And I quite like the fact that we get rid of that right at the start and go backwards and go, well, let's make him live again. I I, I like that. That was, there was, you know, there was a, there was, there was something to do there. Um, slightly different from the Peter one, but, but still, um, you know, it was all bread because we didn't really know there was, I think there was only one photo that we'd seen of Lenny Main as well. So, you know, we were, we were, we were uncovering somebody who was obscured by tragedy, but also by the fact that we didn't have much, much of him, but I'd known from interviewing a couple of people that he had these twin daughters. So I, yeah, I'd very much put the, the pieces in place for that one. I knew we could make a documentary. There are enough people that we could talk to. And Chris took the baton and, and, and we did that. Um, with David Whitaker, I thought he was a quite a well-known figure. People talked about him. He's, he's certainly had the credit for for being the architect of early Doctor Who. I mean, I think some some fan scholars, you know, have already pointed out, you know, the the the, the great work he's done shaping it. We know from his writing of those early Target novels that he was a damn fine writer and he understood Doctor Who and has this lovely sort of philosophical um, uh, approach to it, a very intellectual heft that he has. Um, 
So I wasn't wildly excited by it, apart from the fact that it's always nice to make a documentary about somebody from Doctor Who. So I was delighted that we were actually able to uncover all sorts of people and all sorts of insights and, and get to know a key figure. It just goes to show you don't, you know, you think you know somebody and actually you don't. I think it's slightly bittersweet for me, though, because part of me goes, would it have been better to have left him as this mythical? Because for me, everyone from Doctor Who has had a perfect life. Uh, and, you know, they're these famous names on my bookshelf. You know, what, what wonderful times they must have had as people who weaved the magic and cast a spell over me as a kid. And, they, and you know, they stopped doing Doctor Who because they didn't want to do it anymore. And they went off to do other marvellous things and had this great legacy and uh, had a fascinating lives and moved on and did brilliant things. Uh, and, of course, David, David Whitaker's story, as I'm sure many other people's are, is, is much sadder than that. Um, and I wonder... I, I wonder if we did him any favours. Uh <laughs> I was I was incredibly moved by that. It, it is moving, but, but and I've seen enough sort of bad documentaries. And I don't mean Doctor Who ones. I've I watch a lot of documentaries on Netflix and things like that. Um, the best Doctor Who ones are so dramatically well structured, and I thought that one was perfect. And by the end, I was reaching for a tissue. You know, well, and it takes a lot to make me cry. Chris, Chris is great at, at story. Um, you know, there'll sometimes be things that I I want to put in. Um, sometimes for vanity, I'm still pissed off that um because a few people send me things saying, Did you not notice that it's uh Alethea Charlton who plays um uh, uh, her in An Unearthly Child is is there in the wedding footage of uh of uh of of, of David Whitaker's wedding? And I'm like, No, I said that and I asked him to put that bit in the documentary because it's important for me for people to know that I can identify Doctor Who actors as soon as I see them. Uh, uh, no, that's more about you, isn't it? it? No, it absolutely is. No, it's utter conceit. Uh, and uh, Chris, to be fair, he did actually put it in one cut, and he said he just thought it distracted, uh, and, and he took it out. Um, and of course, my my ego should have nothing to do with the final product. And he's he's you know he's very good at well because he's not me he's he's very good at filtering out all of that crap um but he he's really good on story because uh you know a, a wayward documentary or an unfocused documentary um can be a bit of a chore uh, and also it, it then buys us the emotion because the emotion is not fake i you know i feel incredibly privileged and touched to have even held a notebook that was once written in by David Whitaker. This stuff is so important to me. My, I, my, I, I didn't really enjoy my childhood. It was quite difficult. And Doctor Who was an escape. And um, as I say, I used to, those, those books were, a, were a portal to a sort of somewhere safe. And, so I, I do find it quite moving as now a sort of an older man. You know, I feel a bit for that kid who was, I think, quite a nice kid and he was quite sad. Uh, but, he you know, he loved Doctor Who and it was and I still do. And it was magic. And I think that's why I still, you know, watch Doctor Who and dive into Doctor Who and, you know, on a Sunday night when I 
could be doing things around the house. I was looking forward to this because I like talking to you. You're a nice guy. But I like talking about Doctor Who because it sort of it it shuts off the other noise. And and I've always been grateful and I've always sort of rather idolized the people that did it. Those books on the shelf, books seem so important and dusty and works of great endeavor and those names and uh, you know terence dix brian Hales, malcolm Hull. and of course dix dix was the only one that was alive of those sort of handfuls of books that had, i've said before about celebration so they were dead they were gone they were like oh you know they were they were figures from the past so i find it rather moving to you know to hold in my hand as somebody once said but something that has been touched by those people and you know, I know what it's like being a person uh, and in the, it's actually quite mundane and their lives won't have been magical because Doctor Who wasn't magic to them when they were making it. It was what they were doing for their job. But it's magic to me. It, it's genuinely magic to me. Those hallow days, those things that I can't touch because I wasn't there. Some of those episodes that I'll never see because they don't exist. But but to have a little window into that, as I say, to just to just to touch it. Um is a connection for me. And I think I was always looking for a, a, a connection as a, as a kid. And it was the only thing I really connected to. Um, and I, I don't think anything I've said in the past five minutes is, is remotely related to any of the questions that you asked me, Please but, uh, but, but, but I've, but there's something about, and I've always found, you know, I think life is special. I think people are special. I think people, I, mean, I think people are interesting. Um, and and so that people like David Whittaker, who I was never going to meet because he died when I was six, uh, he was dead before I was cognizant of who he was or whatever. Um, to have that sort of connection is very special to me, and it is quite emotional. Um, and then it, you get the added emotion where you find out that actually just a normal person and prone to the same disappointments and probably pettinesses and probably um uh you know ego conceit all those other things that we're all prey to because we're all we're all people um but they will never stop being really special and magical figures to me uh and to be able to put flesh on their bones i think there's just something quite moving about that process but as i say it does sadden me slightly that sometimes you then uncover this you know there's actually rather sad um as i've done with living people you know as i alluded to when we were talking about some of the who's round interviews um but it's it's instructive to learn that i think particularly if you're in this business where you're prone to see people who've done well and think oh well all their problems are sorted you know it's a stern reminder that actually no we all it's, it's a struggle for people all the time uh, no matter you know how great it might look on the outside. Um, but I just find it very special that uh, that I'm able to connect with these, these people. And, and also quite lovely that obviously the people that they were special to appreciate being given the opportunity to remember them and to memorialize them. Uh, and that these people are remembered. And it's mad with Doctor Who because for a lot of people, Doctor Who was not the greatest thing that they did as far as they were concerned. But you can be an actor who played leading roles at the RSC in the 1960s. The theatre world isn't going to remember you because the world, the, the, the entertainment world is fucking fickle. 
but the Doctor Who world will never forget you. And I think that's to our credit. It is. I think the fact that these that we that the we we're interested in the people, I think is is to our credit. And I I think it 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 is a reflection of 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 what the show does. But it's I think it's because it connects us with our childhood. As I get older, I I I find this more and more important. Um, because being a kid is well, I found being a kid really hard, and um, I'm really grateful to doctor who for for what it did for me yeah i was i was exactly that i was talking on a podcast recently i had to talk uh talk about five things uh five bits of merchandise that mean a lot to me and uh you know askance this uh host as i told him the trial of a time lord vhs box set was one of my five greatest doctor who things because at that point my dad had just gone to prison. My sister had had a breakdown. We lost our family home. And Trial of a Time Lord box set came out at the same time. And for four hours, I don't know how long Trial of a Time Lord is, for that period of time, I wasn't in my life. I was having an adventure with Colin Baker on yeah. Ravelox and Thoros Beta and the Hyperion 3 and wherever that space station is um yeah so i absolutely get it um with the david whitaker one again the sort of that huge injustice that occurred to him especially with his career afterwards i was i was almost angry with myself that i didn't know that and and i was like no that injustice i i I, i'm so pleased i know about that now well well none of us knew about that that's that's uh that was simon gary and i'll tell you what's very generous about that is that that is something Simon could have kept for his book. Mm. Uh, and he didn't. Um, and that's to his credit because that would have been a great, great, pardon me, exclusive, if you like, for his book. But he couldn't have been more helpful. We never got a whiff of, hang on, you're treading on, you're treading on the toes of my research here. And I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep certain stuff back. He didn't keep anything back. There will be stuff in the book that's not in the documentary, but that's either because he found it out afterwards or we didn't have space for it. But, uh, he was absolutely generous with uh, with everything there, Simon. Again, that's to his credit. It's because we all, you know, for whatever for whatever criticisms people might have of the Doctor Who range and 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 the and the fans who crop up on on everything, and I I, I think I, you know, I, you know I, don't read horrif- the horrifying re- the ubiquitous at, at, at times, is that we we all work really hard on it. No nobody's glib about their contribution. Nobody thinks they've they. Uh, they're entitled to be doing what they're doing, but everybody is extremely generous with their time and with their material. The amount of work that Richard Bignall does behind the scenes, uh, and he is unfeigningly generous and helpful. And he helped when he, you know, when he's in his own time and on his own expense, uh, doing research at the BBC Written Archives. He, he might have an idea that I haven't looked in this particular file for something that might be useful for my Quatermass book without even asking, and he'll scan it and send it to me. And uh, you know, and he does all that, and he's done that for for other projects as well. He, he will he will always do something if you ask him. But what he quite often does is done do stuff that you haven't asked him to do because it's occurred to him that it might it might be useful to you. And there's a lot of that that goes on. And I think sometimes people think there's this sort of cabal of of you know fans cackling at their that their at their own importance within the fan community, which is not a currency I, I recognise. I think a fan is a fan and, and is therefore you know you you are subservient to the show and uh you know 
I just happen to be a professional performer, so I've been able to be performative about my fandom, and and, and that's given me some jobs, uh, you, you know, on the range and stuff. But uh, I, I don't see that as me being. I, I have no desire to be an important fan in inverted commas because I don't believe there is such a thing. But I, I know, it, I, I'm sure it can sometimes look from the outside like there are sort of little cabals and enclaves of of people. But of course, the reason that myself and Chris Chapman and Ed Stradling uh, and Peter Crocker might all be talking to each other at the BFI is because we all know each other because we all work on the range together. So of course we're going to talk to it. But if somebody I don't know comes up and talks to me at the BFI, I will talk to them. I'll talk to anybody. I'm happy to we talk to them. We certainly did have a conversation at the BFI, you and I. Yes, not as long as I would have liked. Uh, the problem is I have to say hello to about a million people. But we've, <laughs> have we actually only met in the flesh once? That was the one time, yes. Oh. Mind you, Matthew Sweet was commanding your attention. And to be honest with you, you know, there's a choice between me and Matthew Sweet. I'd choose Matthew Sweet as well. You not know? at all. Not at all. <laughs> oh, I think it's because Matthew had lured me with the... Uh, he'd suggested that there was some Quatermass paperwork that uh, might still be about... Um, uh, so that suddenly made me feel excited and also slightly depressed that I didn't have it. But uh, I was I, the nervous fan. Now I wanted to go and say hello to Matthew Sweet. He doesn't know me from Adam, so I, I didn't. I, sh- I should. Oh, have well, you should have said I'd have introduced you happily. <laughs> well, there's always next time, isn't there? Yeah. Well, are you. Yeah. Are you going to the next? Has it been? An, are you going to the next BFI thing? Uh, the underwater men is like no. Yeah. I haven't got tickets for that. But ah, uh, oh, I I will be there. I'll be back. Don't worry. <laughs> right. That that was one question there, you know. And oh, that went God, for I'm half sorry. An hour. So sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you've got to stop apologizing. It's so great. It's great stuff. Um, Hannah asks, what is Toby's know. top missing show he'd like to see returned that isn't Who or Quatermass? Oh, oh. Gosh, I'm you know, I've got a very one track mind. Um, oh, missing. Oh, now I think it's a slight cheat because it's not Quatermass, but um, oh, or oh, hang on. I was going to say the creature, which is the Neil and Cartier abominable snowmen play that was on between Quatermass Experiment and 1984 and Quatermass 2. Um, but the film, The Abominable Snowmen, that Hammer did is 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 pretty much identical, except it's got a subplot that's not in the play, and it's even got some of the same cast. But I'd still like to see it, partially because Nigel Neal always told the story that there was a a guy sweeping up, uh, caught on camera, um, in, in the cave while 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 the Don Denouement was being being enacted, and that was actually reported in a couple of the papers as well. So uh, it definitely happened. It, it, Nigel Neal said it then happened on the repeat performance as well, which I think may have been him catastrophizing, but we'll never know. Um, but actually, there's a Nigel Neal play called The Road that I adapted for Radio Four, that is uh, an extraordinary script um, with an amazing ending, one of the great endings of any piece of drama, and certainly of any sort of horror. Uh, I think I think it would have to be Nigel Neal, directed by Christopher Morahan, The Road, uh, which is a beautiful piece of work. Yeah. Jason Thompson, uh, who I believe is one of your patrons, um, yes. asks, uh, do you have any memorable, unexpected, positive and just nice experiences with who? Now, obviously, the answer to that is yes, but I'm assuming he's asking you to select one. Oh, God. The um, most positive experience. Let's go with that one. Most positive experience. 
But you know, it might be a little thing. I remember. I I I always say I was never part of fandom. I did I did have some mates in a, I lived in the countryside in the middle of nowhere, but I did get to know some lads who who were in the Willenhall local group, which is sort of Wolverhampton way that I that I hung around with for for a year or so. Uh, and it was around the time of the 25th anniversary. Uh, and in fact, I remember on Doctor Who's 25th anniversary, we went, we did something. I can't remember what, but I, I was wearing my Doctor Who scarf, which I had, which got eaten by moths. Uh, and bearing in mind that Doctor Who was sort of at the fag end of its TV existence and was, and was you know, people, people were rather snooty about it at, at that time. I remember showing my ticket to the ticket inspector lady who was a, a youngish woman. You know, we were young. We, I was a teenager, but she was, she would probably have been, you know, late twenties, maybe. Uh, and, and she said, Oh, Dr. Who fans. And I went, yeah. And I thought she might say, Oh, I remember that when it was good or whatever people you say. And she said, happy birthday. And I, it was just a tiny moment of one, because I think we got quite defensive about being Dr. Who fans in those days. Cause it was, you know, as I say, it was it was it. People were were rude about it, um, and people thought it was fun to to mock it, and it was you know denigrated left, right, and centre. But 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 that was just a moment where it was one of those small little moments of kindness. Uh, so I'll always remember that. I've never yeah, that's that's languished in my memory banks. Uh, it's a nice yeah. But I mean, too many in terms of. I'm sure that's not what Jason was after. Uh, he's after. Um, I mean, Russell. Russell agreeing to do that interview was a massive. Whoa, no! I'll tell you the one. I'll tell you the one. It was when I was at the Edinburgh Fringe, and a comic called Bill Bruce, who I've sort of lost touch with, and I'm rather sad uh, that I have, uh, because he he, ha he had a, a slot at Edinburgh, and he decided one Saturday night, I think, to give his slot over to do a charity night of Doctor Who comedy to raise money for the hospice that David Tennant's mum had worked at and recently passed away in. Uh, and so he got me and he got Mitch Ben, who's also, you know, well known for doing Doctor Who material and Mitch is a Doctor Who fan, uh, and Bill himself. Uh, and we did a night of Doctor Who-based stand-up comedy. And Bill, as part of his spiel, there was a charity auction as well, I think, said, we, you know, we've got some stuff and uh, David Tennant's uh, people will know about it. And he said, because I've got David Tennant's people's email address. And he was just doing it as a sort of mock sort of hardy, hardy, ha. So as then, to, and then I went on and did my bit. And I thought, and as a sort of, to continue that tone, I actually said, well, I've actually got David Tennant's email address. And I had, because a friend of mine, an actress, uh, called Madeline, who I'd been in Midsummer Night's Dream with at the Royal Exchange, uh, which is what probably still my favourite acting job that I did, and I've still got great friends from that. Um, and Fenella Woolgar was in that. Agatha Christie was in that. Uh, and um, and, yeah. and Madeline invited everyone to her 40th birthday via email. But she didn't BCC everybody. She CC'd everybody. And it was like everyone that she'd ever met. <laughs> Uh, and so I was scanning, you know, I was just idly scanning and David Tennant's email address was there. Now, I didn't do anything with it, but I just noticed, oh, I've got David Tennant's email address. That's quite funny. <laughs> but I mentioned it as part of this stick. Now, anyway, David Tennant had got wind of this comedy night, I think, and we raised, you know, three grand or whatever. Um, 
but he didn't know anyone connected with it. But I think they'd released it as a podcaster before podcasts, as they'd released the audio of it somehow. And so he heard me saying that on the thing. So then he worked out who that must have been. Who's had a 40th birthday recently? Blah, 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 blah. Rang up Madeline and said, do you know a guy called Toby Haydoke? Because he's done this charity gig for my mum and I want to thank somebody. Um, Have you got his number? So she gave him my number. So one morning, one morning I'm pottering around the house and the phone goes. It's early. It's just before the school run. I'm like, but it's, and I was booking my comedy club at that time. So, is this some comic after a gig at fucking quarter to nine? So I picked it up. I was like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's like, uh, you know, this voice goes, uh, "Hello, uh, is is that Toby Haydock?" And, and and I said, "Yes." And I and, and I think my brain was kicking in. Uh, and he said, "Bless him." He said, "My name's David Tennant." Uh, who? And he'd and and he'd rung to say thanks. He rung, you know, he'd, he'd but it wasn't that he'd, you know, he'd heard this thing and had been able to get hold of the person who organised it. He didn't know anybody involved, and the only angle that he had was that throwaway comment by me made him sort of work it out and do a little bit of research and phone that person, uh, and then go to the trouble of phoning me. And he was, which was a really, um, and he was Doctor Who at the time. Doctor Who phoned me. Uh, and then a little bit later, of course, I'm I'm doing my Sake by Doctor Who scarf on tour, and and we were we were dallying with the idea of having cameos on, and I thought it probably wouldn't quite work because it's not a Doctor Who show. So Nicholas Courtney coming on stage isn't gonna. It, it's probably gonna, in a way, no, no disrespect to Nick, it's it's gonna take away from what it is. It's not a Doctor Who tie-in. That, but but I I said to the producers, well, I I do have David Tennant's email. We could ask for a voice and i worked out where perhaps the doctor's voice could go in the show and email and i and i think i got them to email him to ask him so at least it was formal they were west end producers so i thought you know that's at least a bit professional um and then we then he liaised with me and he and i sent him the script and he sent it and and so when i went on stage at the west end my west end debut doing my state my doctor's scarf for the first time it had an introduction by and a cameo from in the middle david tennant who was the doctor at the time and that was all because he'd he'd done that lovely phone call and then I hadn't taken the piss i've you know i've never phoned him i have got his number i i i've i you know i didn't i didn't bother him on email but then when when it was needed to do something and i've had cause to email him a couple of times since always bloody asking him for something and he's always come up trumps and he's always been absolutely delightful um and uh but but that that phoning out of the blue and then doing making my west end debut even more special uh are things that i have to sometimes remind myself happened because i'd forgotten about them actually i hadn't forgotten about them i knew that happened but it's only when you asked that question that i went oh yeah hang on I need to tell people that because that's amazing. That's cool. But that's that's all from David being a really nice guy. Oh, do you know, I've never heard. I've not heard a bad word. And I've spoken to many, many people. Oh, that's gorgeous. What a lovely story. Um, Joe Llewellyn. I can never say his surname. Oh, well, Llewellyn? Uh, no, Llewellyn. it's actually, it's, it's like the Welsh. It's just Llewellyn. Joe it's... Llewellyn asks, 
and I believe he's being very hey, Joe. Here. Joe's Joe's lovely. He's, I've never met Joe, but he's a he's a friend from across the pond, and he's a great he's... correspondent, and he's been very uh, encouraging and 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 I just like his perspective and I like his style. He's a nice guy, Joe, even though I've never met him, but he's a great correspondent from across the pond. You'll have the opportunity to hear him do one of the hamster commentaries soon. Hey, great. On. No, I'm pleased. I'm pleased. Um, he asks, what will it take to get you back to the States, specifically Gallifrey 1? Oh, I just have to be asked. Um, I suppose I have to be candid about this. There's a slightly checkered history there, and, I, and I, it's, it's, it's not entirely my fault, um, but it's partly my fault, I think. Um, is that when I went there the first year and and did moths, I'm, I'm, my sense of humour is very glass half empty and wry and British and self-deprecating. And um, when I did moths there, we we did go up quite late. I think I was due to go, say I was due to go on at half past nine. I think I ended up going on at like 11. Uh, and uh, I, I, I was very, very nervous. And, th and I think the cosplay thing went on long and long and long. And, and it was fine. Rob Shearman was <laughs> furious on my behalf but it was it was fine i was just nervous you know because i well i wasn't performing in a theater either i was performing in a sort of hotel conference room and the vibe there is very different uh and i'd gone through the sort of tech cues but again it wasn't a theater it wasn't a theater setup so um and and doing the tech for a convention is very different from doing the tech for a theater show that has cues and you know blah blah so um you know a lot of the tech stuff didn't come in when would have been ideal and i had to make jokes about that which i <laughs> did because you have to make the performance work and then then i sort of when i sort of wrote it up in running through corridors which was me and rob communicating with each other uh you know i i sort of played up the kind of oh that was nearly a disaster and oh god that was a bit of a uh, but it was all meant to be a kind of i was up against it uh you know um a sort of wry kind of oh bloody hell sort of thing but of course the people that work at those conventions are very hard-working dedicated people who are giving their own time and and i think you know we're two countries divided by a, a common language or whatever I, I think well in fact i know because it, it was it was fed back to me after i was slightly surprised by something i'd read or heard or something that 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 that, that the people had taken that my reaction which was to use humor to dig myself out of the situation uh, as, as somehow a slight on them which was not intended to be at all um and i actually saw sean lyon at chicago uh and 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 he was a bit sort of you know ev evasive with me so i got in a lift with him and went what's what's going on what's the problem uh and he said well and he and he explained that you know uh, you know people people had been uh, a bit upset that what they'd seen as me sort of being critical and i explained you know god no that was my sense of view it's only supposed to be self-deprecatory would never want to offend anybody blah blah, blah. and to his credit he went uh, uh you know uh, okay well i'm glad we've had that conversation and then so then he invited me back to when i did step my steps on my sonic screwdriver so i did go again um but uh, I I wonder if you know I I slightly blotted my copybook there, um, which as I say is is understandable, but um, it was not taken in the way that it had been intended. But I'm not saying that they shouldn't have taken it in that way, if that makes sense. Uh, I think it's just one of those things that's that's slightly unfortunate, and it's a shame because it's a flipping 
it's a fantastic convention. They don't need me there. Do you know what I mean? They have they certainly, you know, because when I when I did moths there, I did lots of on stage interviews as well. So I was able to sort of double up and make myself useful. But they don't need me to do on, on stage interviews. They've got loads of really good people, more more than enough. So I'm 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 not necessary. They don't need me to be there. So I guess unless I've got a show, and even then, it's I say it's no guarantee because uh, I might have blotted But as I say, no, because Sean was very nice and invited me back. And in fact, when the second time, I was supposed to get a train to Man to, to London to get the flight out, and all the trains from Manchester were cancelled. Uh, and in the end, I had to email Sean and say, I think I'm going to have to fly from Manchester to London. Oh. And then fly from London. And to his credit, he got straight back to me and said, "Oh well, you know, and if that plane costs you, you know, we'll cover we'll cover that cost as well." Which I hadn't been angling for. I think I'd just been saying, "There's no trains going out. All the trains were cancelled." I was on the train, and then suddenly, oh, because the rain came down or something flooded. Anyway, so it was suddenly a and it was really weird because then I had to get off the train, uh, and I went up to Marks and Spencer's to get myself something to drink, and there was somebody there with a copy of an unearthly child in their hand and said, "You Toby Hado," and I went. <laughs> yes it was really weird um and um so anyway so yeah i i don't think i'm their favorite person which saddens me um uh but but they certainly weren't averse to having me back for stepson so that was nice but but um it's it's not like Unless I'm doing a one-man show, it's not like there's anybody, there's there's nobody else that can do what my other skill sets are, which is interviewing people on stage. And I'm, you know, and I'm not a I'm not a Doctor Who celebrity. I've never been in Doctor Who. I've uh, I've 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 not written any Doctor Who fiction. Um, so I'm not, despite what you might say, I'm not I'm not interesting enough to be interviewed. So I, I think maybe it would have to be. I would have to do another show in order to get invited back out there. But if they wanted me out there, I would go because I had a lovely time and I like the American fans and I like the American people and it's a brilliant convention. Um, so I could have said all of that without without mentioning the bit about Moss, but I, I'm an open book. I think you one should be candid. Uh, Just so imagine how how those technical difficulties would have gone down in a UK convention because it would effectively be the play that went wrong, right? Yeah. And everybody would just be falling about i'd imagine and and the you know the creators of the convention will probably be laughing along with you there's definitely there is a humor divide whether people want to acknowledge it or not yeah there's but no also but also i i think it was slightly crass of me because you know you know what it's like when you put something out there and the first thing somebody says is oh you haven't put a full stop there or you spelt that person's name wrong or you know i think you'll find that uh, you know that you were thinking about um Terence Dix, not Terence Dudley, or whatever, you, you know, and you go, hang on, you've just listened to a two-hour podcast and you're picking me up on a getting somebody's name wrong or a pronunciation or whatever. And and so if you've organized a massive great convention and you're in the come down of it, and and you know, the first thing you read of the feedback from that comedian bloke is that he's you know, he's he's done some wry humor about uh the technical side of things, you might go, Oh, arsehole, you know. I put out two and a half thousand reviews on my website for free and somebody came at me after reading all of them saying your grammar's terrible. I was like, <laughs> you bastard. It's, 
it's funny i i was listening to another podcast not a doctor who podcast um it's it's a bit sort of middle classy yummy mummy it's called how not to fail but it's trying to be inspirational and it's and, and she interviews some really interesting people and i was reading the reviews and somebody had given it one star and and they went something like well, you know, the first 200 episodes were great, but, uh, you know, episode 215, they interviewed so-and-so and I don't like them and thought think they're, they should be and think they're a bit of us. And you go, right, so hang on. So that's enough to give it one star. Do you know what I mean? That's the, and that's that's the thing is that if so, so if, a, if, a, if, if a podcast that you listen to does one episode that you don't like, you feel free to give it one star, but you wouldn't have given it five stars for the other 200. Uh, and that you find that quite often happens um uh that that we live at such extremes uh and i think i mean i think if something's got a theme tune and you can hear it it deserves more than one star do you know what i mean <laughs> you've listened to mine right yeah i've had a lot of people on someone called mine toxic and unwelcoming oh like, are you kidding me <laughs> did you listen it's crazy yeah it's crazy. And, and also if i hated something that much i just wouldn't give it i wouldn't i wouldn't give oh, yeah. i wouldn't start do you know what i mean it's it's the unfortunate the, thing is these people have the power to do so yeah so they use it um can i ask you johnny morris's question now oh is it something fatuous <laughs> yes <laughs> it is Johnny asks, which is best? Best is the word he uses. Doctor Who, Quatermass, or the complete works of Dennis Potter? Oh, that's a good question. Johnny, by the way, uh, is a very talented and very nice man. And he would actually, the, I know some some listeners of this have watched my one man show, uh, Now I Know My BBC. I actually sent the script of that to Johnny and, uh, and he sent it back with. A, 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 a sweep of some really good jokes and i think they ended some of them ended up being the best jokes in it <laughs> so uh, uh uh which he which he just kindly did for me so um uh very fond of johnny and he writes great doctor who stuff and he's uh he's he's a lovely man in good company and a very very funny man um well, he's he's so bold johnny and a massive fan of douglas adams the first doctor who book that he wrote festival of death was an enormous tribute to douglas adams and the great highest accolade i can give johnny is it reads like a douglas adams book i mean uh, it, he's he's yeah. such a clever man he, he is a clever man um and he wears it he wears it lightly um i like him a lot johnny he's also a sarky bastard as well he is yeah yeah, he's a prick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I like he's a he's a good lad. Um, uh, what's his question? What's best? Mm. Doctor what's... Who, Greater Math, or the complete works of Dennis Potter? Uh, I was going to say I'll reject Dennis Potter straight away because Dennis Potter could be very up and down. And I thought, hang on, what about Doctor Who? Doctor Who could be very <laughs> up and down. Um, I did a commentary on the Twin Dilemma last week. Yeah, I, th I, th God, it's so hard to be objective i mean i think oh but what what is best do you know well yeah. i i'm afraid it, i think it it has to be doctor who because doctor who is more than a sum of its parts quatermass is brilliant groundbreaking bold exceptional probably in terms of its concentration of high quality uh you know far exceeds doctor who because there's only you know there's only the the, the small small number of them and it's a different thing uh, dennis potter 
you know, as lofty as highfalutin is about the human condition is challenging. Um, but Doctor Who is escapist tea time entertainment that resonates in so many different directions and manages to be profound and stupid and uh, disposable and important and silly and inspiring and uh, and and beyond actually what it is as a program what it represents uh, in our cultural landscape to us personally it's a miracle doctor who uh so wonderful those those two other things are doctor who uh, Do it's doctor who it's doctor who it's doctor who it inspires people to be creative it brings people together socially you know it it's, gets us yeah. thinking critically I mean, it is a a machine, isn't it, Doctor Who? I can't imagine my life without it. No, nor me, nor me. Well, there's your answer, Johnny. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, I I want to ask. Where's the question now? Ba -ba -ba -ba. Matt, I've just got Matt here. asks. Well, he asked me to ask you. When is the third volume of Running Through Corridors due? Ah, now I finally managed to collar Rob Shearman not that long ago, and it was lovely. Uh, again, I thought he'd gone off me, <laughs> uh, but he's just been really busy and uh, has had some personal stuff uh, as well, distracting him and and writing his, you know, he writes a million books before tea time. And we discussed it, and, and he actually said, we can't do it right now, but um, he's got some. And I thought, because we'd, you know, we'd, we had done it, and we, you know, and we got all the notes and everything. And I said, well, let's just gather it all up and put it all together. And he said, no, so much time has passed. What we're going to have to do is we're going to have to do it again. We're going to have to pick up from where we left off the last book. And we're going to have to do the eight. We're going to have to do it. He said, so he said, because you, we're going to have to think back to what we did at the time. And too much time has passed now. I mean, you know, the second book came out. It was all building up to a wedding that by the time the book's out, the marriage is over. I mean, that was pretty hard. <laughs> so, you know, sort of like, should we chop all of that stuff out? But actually some of the quite charming stuff in it was the, the build up to that. It was just, you know, then when you look at it in the cold light of day and all that water's under the bridge and you go, do I really want to share this in what is a re review about Doctor Who? But oh, fuck it, you know. Um, again, open book. I think, see there's no point in hiding anything. Exactly uh, what Russ T said about, um, oh, I forgot the name of the book now. The Benjamin Cook, the the emails. Writers, yeah, Thank the you. writer's tale. He said, put it all out. Let's just do it. Yeah, but Russell T. Davis is an important cultural figure. Um, uh, but anyway, um, whatever. Remember what uh, you said earlier about people having a certain image. You are far too self-deprecating to have any kind of an image. Um, well, um, uh, um, so I, I, I think what we will have to do is in the in the new year, um, we will have to redo, uh, you know, from the Leisure Hive through, uh, and and muse upon the fact that you know we we've we've had to redo that part of the experiment because life got in the way, and do, and and just do it like that, um, which I wouldn't have said to do, but Rob's instincts are usually correct, and I didn't think feel strongly enough about it either way, and it does and it does. So it will, ironically, it will probably be easier to do it again uh, and respond to it now than to try and mold 
what is actually a bit of a relic because of course so much doctor who stuff has got yeah. got gone under the, the the bridge um so uh yeah it so hope maybe next year i don't know it's it's whenever rob is ready um uh but it's certainly um we certainly have made some progress because i i met up with him about six to eight weeks ago and it was jolly and it was nice the the intention is there the intention is there okay uh tom newsom lovely tom newsom if toby never got into doctor who what else does he think he would have been into oh it's funny do you know what i i mean i i certainly I I I I I am I I'm certainly of the makeup that if I get into something I will dive fully into it. In fact, I I just started for pleasure rewatching The Wire, which I've only watched once, and is a fascinating, sprawling, dense, um, brilliantly sort of novelistic television series. Um, and I'd watched it once, and you know, I found it quite hard but rewarding, and I'm really enjoying it this time round. So. Then I ordered the making of book. I've ordered the book that inspired it. I've ordered the book that they wrote around, you know, and suddenly, <laughs> and, and, and I will, I will consume myself in that. So I find it very easy to get, you know, very deeply into a thing. I mean, I've got quite deeply into Quatermass, you know. Um, I, I mean, I think the thing with Doctor Who is that there's so much of it. Um, but I'm sure I could, you know, I remember when Buffy was on, I got quite into. I mean, there are things I consider myself not particularly a fan of, but I still probably could tell you at least a couple of the guest actors of most episodes, and you know the story, you know uh, the, the storylines. I'm like, so, so even even things I think I've only got a cursory uh, sort of knowledge or interest of the the way that my mind works and the the way that everything sort of connects together means that um, you know I can yeah I I can still hold my own. Um, I suppose if so I, I mean I got very into Buffy. I bought all the guidebooks. I've got all the DVDs uh, and Angel as well. So I loved all of that stuff. I suppose I probably, if there'd been space, I might have got into Star Trek more. I've watched I've watched all of uh, Next Generation, DS Nine, uh, bits of Voyager, but not much. Bits of Enterprise, but not much. Um, I've tried to watch some of the new ones. I don't need a five-minute scene in Klingon. Uh, <laughs> oh, me neither. When I watch Chekhov play, they don't speak in Russian because they know I don't speak Russian, so they all speak in English. Uh, I've, I've, I find it, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I find that quite amusing. <laughs> the, op the opening scene as well. I mean... um, and it's and it's a shame because I'm sure it's uh, very good. But I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I, and also as I'm getting older, I find this, this, this. And you know what? I, I kind of like what I'm... It takes me a while to get into something. But then if I get into it, I... As I say, I get I get quite into it. But, uh, you, you know, if you tell me as a kid the amount of sci-fi that would be on the telly now, you know, when the television landscape, we had Invasion Earth, and that was about it, you know, and uh, and and, dear, uh, and Star Trek The Next Generation on BBC Two. Bugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bugs. Um, you know, I would have thought, God, I will never be bored again. But you know what? 
I flick up and down the menus of Netflix and yeah, TV and all of them. And some of these quite sort of, there was one that she says happened upon the other day. She said, Oh, you'll want to watch that. And I went, no, Oh God, no, it's a, it's all on sand. And I immediately get put, put off by a, any, anything that's sort of sci-fi where, you know, it's got some convoluted back history of the seventh dynastic Cthulhu's and their <laughs> magic powers and, 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 and being all stuck portentous on sand i don't, I thought i don't want to fucking you can't watch, watch a lot of current day science fiction and i'm oh no god no anything anything that's got a sort of convoluted back history and the and the people's names have got apostrophes in and it's got sand it can fuck off <laughs> <laughs> uh and i and i look at that and i think I, I, that, that should be for me but i think i'm gonna go and watch battlefield yeah. <laughs> do you know what i mean uh and I do, it's weird because we say one of the great things about Doctor Who is it, is it makes us expand our horizons and, and experience <laughs> no, new things. And, and I'll go, I'll watch Terror of the Zygons for the 90th time. And do you know what? <laughs> I watched Terror of the Zygons the other day and I fucking loved it, even though I've seen it a million times. Bless and, you um, for thinking that was only the 90th time you've seen it. <laughs> um, so, but, and because there's so much of Doctor Who and because... Mm. There's so much. There's there's the missing bits and 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 there's the archaeology and the, you know I can I can spend my day trying to find out something about uh you know the woman who played Melium in the Ark uh, and disappear down a rabbit hole and uh, and think that a day well spent um, would I have done that with something else if if there had been something else there instead possibly but I don't know it's that indefinable magic of Doctor Who but there's certainly enough to dig deep I I saw something on twitter the other day where somebody was trying to uh, uh identify uh, an extra in the the cage the star trek pilot and a few of the it was on facebook i think and a few people go who cares it's just an extra and i was going you well i i'm quite interested now and i don't even follow star trek so i'm so i'm sure uh i could have because i've always enjoyed um next gen and ds9 and stuff I, i'm sure if there were enough hours in the day I would be looking for that actor or trying to identify that extra uh, in, in in episodes of Star Trek because it's big enough and sprawling enough. And um, I, as I say, I've occasionally disappeared down a rabbit hole of that, even though, you know, I saw the cage once 20 years ago. But, well, you know, uh, it's all related in it. Don't you worry. I've got a, both a, a freshly sprung Buffy podcast and a, a year long running Star Trek podcast. So I'm doing a bit of that work for you. All right. Oh, beautiful. And the thing, the thing about Doctor Who is, is like, I really love the books and I really love the audios and I really love the TV show. So like, whatever mood I'm in, there's <laughs> some Doctor Who, whatever genre I want, it's all there on the shelf, you know, like. Yeah, it, that's it, the beauty giving, of it. Doesn't it? It, it, it sort of caters for your every need, really. You I don't call need it this sort of else. engine of storytelling, but that's not an exaggeration. No, no. It's, and it's amazing. And, it, and it's still manages to produce you know vast amounts of material and very well written and produced material you know well i've got a, a couple more questions here i promise you i will get you to bed at some point That's this right. side of the morning um well actually a question i wanted to ask you and that was about the quatermass event that you had recently oh and, yes and sort of what went into making that happen well that was the idea of a chap called john deere who uh who is uh 
uh, he, you know, he's a he's a TV and film historian, and he does the Quatermass podcast called Bergcast. And we met when he asked me to be a guest on that, and I met up with him, and he interviewed me about the Quatermass experiment, and we stayed in touch. And he's a very nice chap, and uh, uh, he's you know he's he's done a couple of events that he asked me to take part in, and was happy to. I emceed uh, uh, an event he did at the Crouch End Picture House, and uh, uh, and ditto. Uh, uh, one in Derby as well, and we we did rehearse, we no, unrehearsed readings of a lost Nigel Neal radio play, and then a lost Nigel Neal episode of Out of the Unknown. Uh, and he said, "Well, why don't we do that for the Quatermass experiment, which is you know four episodes of which are missing, and you know nobody really there's very badly photocopied PDFs of them on the on the on the DVD, but nobody really knows." um and and under and the script book but the script book has massive differences from from the actual camera scripts um and so nobody really knows them uh and but it's his baby and he got uh chris Lindsay and, and carrie carrie thompson who are great producers of sort of live events and theater and uh uh, uh and, and spoke to alexandra palace and asked mark gatis to be involved and um i put the scripts together for him because um uh i think we were all going to do it at one point and then i i just did it i think um and i i threw in a load of casting suggestions um uh but I, but you know i was always always sort of on board and um he let me kindly let me play james fuller love the the journalist which is a great part the part i'd always had my eye on so that was nice and uh and we got some great actors involved because mark was involved uh and and because I think people like to do good projects, and uh, you know, I, I, you know, I had a few ideas for people that we could ask, and we asked them, and they said yes because we just did it in a day. You know, we met at Ali Pali at midday, and you know, we were performing it at half seven. Uh, so there are things we do again. I think we you know, one, it was way too long. We should have started a bit earlier. We did want to start a bit earlier, but Ali Pali had had put out half past seven, and then and and then wouldn't bring it forward, which I think they should have done. But there we go. Um, uh and it was electric you know and, and and chris and carrie and we had a wonderful actor called james swanton playing victor caroon the mutating astronaut which is not a great vocal part but they but he's so good with his body and 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 and, and uh it needed somebody who could just do something to be a presence of this largely dialogue free character and he was amazing uh and and for the climax where we couldn't you know it was just a script reading but they they lit him and he did all this sort of expressionistic sort of german body horror stuff and his shadow cast a shadow on the back wall and it was it was all suggestion and it was and it was brilliant it was electrifying and um it was wonderful to be a a, a part of and uh, uh a dream come true really and uh i had a real crash after it because we'd been such a build-up we'd been building up to it for about a year uh uh and uh you know, we, we were lucky enough to, we were let into Ali Pali and the studios that they made it in on the day of the 18th of July when uh, the first episode went out. That morning, we went up to Ali Pali, we were interviewed by Newsnight and stuff, and and wandered around Studios A and B. It was um, uh, where it was done. So that's sort of pinch yourself stuff. But that was, it was John's initiative. I just helped, really. I was, uh, it was kind kind enough to let me be involved in the, in the process. Um, and, uh, it's one of those really special things that as I was doing it, I was like, this is going to be over this time tomorrow. This is really sad because it's so sort of special. Make sure you mark this and make sure 
you enjoy it and try and you know try and soak it up because this is this is the stuff you know and it was amazing and it was so nice and john very kindly let me do a sort of three minute preamble where i sort of set the scene and gave a bit of context uh and you know i went out and my mum was in the audience and there was a massive round of applause um uh and it it felt really special and i'm glad my mum and my brother got to see that because they don't really get any of it really um and it was and and you know it was so good a mark to to lend his name to it and i know that you know and, and he's he wears it all very very lightly uh but it was really it was really special and we had kevin mcnally in it we had alice Lowe in it alan cox who was fucking brilliant he was so good uh and then and sherry some actor you know i got some actor friends aboard uh, uh, and charlie de Mello from from corrie was in it and uh shares and chrissy bone who's just brilliant and i who i would have in everything and then my old mate adam riches who's fantastic and tom burgess who was brilliant it was absolutely pitch perfect scott arthur playing a really difficult part that he did really well and then andre morell's son jason morell was in it i mean it was yeah and dan starkey who's brilliant voice man uh so it was it was just a dream really as i say there are things that i would do differently and things that didn't quite work out on the night uh, but but considering what it you know what it was which was us all getting together on the day uh yeah i i wish i could sort of be in that forever forever <laughs> oh i mean i i i couldn't make it on the night but five of my friends were there and that sort of electrifying feel i mean they were buzzing the day after oh, good. so so whatever you were projecting out i think it was being grabbed hold of by the audience oh. and loved it good i'm really pleased because it was long my god <laughs> they they had to you know they had to be very faithful as uh, we, 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 we boiling as well and and when mark mark got there at midday i'd been there early uh and uh, i met him outside and he said you've chosen the hottest day of the year to full a room full of science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it must have absolutely stank. <laughs> uh, but it was oh man it was special. personal hygiene has come on you know yeah that was special it was great um okay i'm gonna ask you a question now i don't know how you're gonna take it it's from mike fair he says how does toby feel about being a doctor who icon <laughs> well, I'm not. Um, uh, you know, as I say, I'm as you know. It's 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 never been an aspiration of mine to be, uh, in inverted commas, an important Doctor Who fan. As I say, I think that is a a ludicrous thing to think of anyone as being, and certainly to to aspire to be. And if if anybody were to think that about themselves, I would think them to be ludicrous people. Um, uh, I don't think of myself as a. I, I'm. Look, I'm. I'm. I, I consider myself extremely fortunate to have done the documentaries and done the commentaries, and I, you know, I've worked worked hard on those things, and and I and I hope I, you know, work ab above and beyond the call of duty. If I'm if I'm on a project, I think anyone that 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 has worked with me would would say that you know I've I've helped out more than just turning up, to you know to do the tits and teeth uh you know a lot of the behind the scenes stuff um in fact on some of the dvds and blu-rays that i'm not actually on 
um, you, you know, I've, I've still helped out with, as it were. And as I say, there's a whole network of people who, who, who do quite a lot of work that is, you know, unpaid and uncredited in order that these things be as good as possible. Um, but, but, um, I'm, you know, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a Doctor Who fan. I'm a glory, I'm a, I'm a glorified Doctor Who fan. I don't see that as, this is why I find this slightly baffling. What you're, it's very flattering and you're, and that's always nice to talk to you. And as I say, I'm a vain actor. So talking about myself is, is, is no trouble, but I've, I, I've, I've, I feel slightly sort of fraudulent because I'm not, I've, I've, I'm not part of Doctor, I've never been in Doctor Who. I'm not, you know, I think Avord is more interesting than me because Avord has been in Doctor Who. Uh, and, you know, I can't escape the fact that uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not part of that. I'm part of the footnotes, maybe, or the p periphery of it. Uh, but um, so I, I reject, I reject the uh, basis of Mike's very sweetly phrased question. Um, it's it's funny because I, I, there's a little and I'm this isn't sort of false modesty either. I but you know I I I I, I, I you know I, I I hope I present stuff well. I think I'm I think I'm quite good at dealing with the the sort of slightly emotional situ situations when I'm interviewing people. I think uh, I, I I think people feel relaxed, uh, uh, you know, and I yeah I think I'm okay. I think I'm all right at that. I think I I know there've been certain situations that could have been stickier that I've that I've managed to make okay. So you know I'm not going oh I'm terribly I'm not very good at this stuff and I, and I you know and I and I I would say that you know some people who might you know point out a mistake I've made halfway through a, a four hour commentary session go yeah what what about the other four hours where I tell you loads of stuff you, you didn't know give me a break uh it's it's unrehearsed you don't know what you're going to be asked by the people blah blah blah, blah. you know I, and i you know i i would say um it's i it's probably not as easy as i might make it look if in my own defense if you're inclined to be critical of some of some of that stuff um but why am I saying that? What am I talking about? Um, but um, you are being not... a, a Doctor Who icon, which yes, is but I it's, personally it's, agree with. It's uh, it's not. It's no. It's um, it's uh, so so. Yes, I'm I'm, <clears throat> I'm 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 not saying, you know, and 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 I suppose you know it's it's a very pleasant surprise when I've you know I've been used by more than one producer, which is usually a good sign. If you're only employed by the same person at the same time, we go. It's just because that person likes you. Um, you know, so that's that's all quite nice. I've made myself useful, and yeah, I you know I'm 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 reasonable in front of a camera, and I'm quick. I'm quick and I'm cheap, uh, and I think those are underrated uh, underrated attributes in the professional world. Me these too, days. but in a, a very different <laughs> way. <Do you> know? <laughs> um, but. Uh, you know, and I've been, I've been very lucky that people, I think, with low budget stuff as well, go. I've alluded to this before with with the acting. You, you know, they know I've done the job and and I've done it quickly and I've done it without much fuss. So, you know, why risk somebody else? I think that's that's you know, because there are plenty of people I'm sure who could. Uh, well, people have you know moderated commentaries very well, and and there's there's loads of Doctor Who on stage interviewers who are who are great at. But you know, people like. Um, 
uh, you know, uh, Robert Dick and Stephen Shapansky and all those people. You know, there's lots of very, very capable in the people in the in the in the worlds of uh, of, of Doctor Who. Um, I, I, yeah. So I, it's I'm I'm just I'm very lucky. I I guess, but I don't see it as uh, I I I just see myself as a if if I if I saw me on the on the Doctor Who DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff, I wouldn't think that's an icon of Doctor Who. I think, oh, it's that bloke. Uh, um, I wish I was doing that. <laughs> so um, uh, I don't know. It's um, yeah, I don't know. How do I answer that question? I'm not, but that's nice. Uh, James Lark says no questions just tell him he's wonderful oh thanks, so you're James. wonderful um to to uh, not to labor the point but i'd like to say like your easy way with the actors the interviews that you put out where i've learned so much the book that you put out which for me redefines sort of critically how people can pull apart and sort of dissect Doctor Who, uh, your performances in Big Finish, but most importantly, your podcast, which, you know, I've, I've shared with you in the past that, you know, I have very dark days and it's company for me, but it's not just company. It's well-researched. It's fascinating. It's engaging. It's funny. I don't think any of those things are to be sort of sniffed at. You know, and so so I'm I'm going to push away from this because I I know how British you are and I know <laughs> how averse you are to a compliment. But I did feel the need to say that before I ask you my very last question. Yes. <laughs> well, it's... thank you. Uh, it's it's uh, the 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 bit that made me most chuffed there was when you said the performances in Big Finish because you know at the end of the day I'm I'm you know my lifelong dream was to be uh, was to be an actor uh and so to have acted in you know audio doctor who's is uh you know that that to me feels sort of slightly that's that's not me being a fan do you know what i mean the rest of it is all an an adjunct or a development of me being a fan and i take it's difficult to take professional pride in being a fan because I'm just a fan. It's my hobby. Um, it, it's my hobby that I've been lucky enough to um, convert into something that, that has sort of performative offshoots, but nonetheless, it's still kind of my hobby when I, when I'm doing stuff on the, um, I do a bit of, you know, I'm, I'm a doctor who consultant on some of the animations, which I think is a wonderful credit that they've now reduced to consultant because Charles Norton thought it was silly to have doctor who consultant, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> um, uh, but I don't feel like I'm doing a job. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I'm just, you know, they've bung me a couple of quid to, you know, make sure the credits are done properly or the, you know, or that the, 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 they've written to the right actors for the royalties and all that, that sort of stuff that's just sort of that's just that's just stuff i'd be you know happy to sort of circle about doing anyway that's all part of me my fan the podcast is me being a fan i don't i try and make it good because i i don't like to put out anything that's sort of half-hearted uh 
you know, so I I pay for a theme tune. I'll I'll make sure it's done on a proper mic, and I'll you know try and edit it properly and and all that sort of thing. But that's because I I want stuff to be good. I want I don't want to put out anything half-hearted. But it's still it's still just me being a fan. And um, I mean, who cares what a Doctor Who fan's got to say? I took you know me obviously. <laughs> I I'm not sure you can understand like the impact that podcast can have on somebody like in in a bad place having a bad time that distraction that sort of warm voice all of that and i'm you must have because i've had people come to me about my podcast saying those things and yeah i consider yours to be vastly superior to mine so you must have had some some very positive feedback in well that i mean i talked before about about realizing that the sense of humor of moths being quite positive and quite benign was a, was an eye opener to me. And then it was Rob Shearman's idea that um, uh, running through corridors be a, a positive assessment of any story, trying to ring the positives. And so then when I was doing these podcasts, it was the idea of, Oh, should, should I, I think Lawrence Clark maybe gave me that idea of the sort of quest element to it. I think I was just going to do a, well, my original plan, my original plan for, the commentary podcast was for me to do it with the dog. I remember. Yeah. And for, and for me to sort of have this improvised Converse. comedy. Yeah. Conver- <laughs> Fuck me. That would have been, I mean, it, I'd I, love I mean, to see how long you could have. Uh, oh my off. God. Um, I do actually have, I did try it with the crotons, I think. Um, but anyway, I wonder if I put it out that. as an extra. Uh, please. <laughs> uh, but again, as with, you know, I've, I've said in other interviews that the original version of Moths was much more convoluted and had jokes working backwards and all that sort of thing. You know, keep it simple, stupid, uh, and actually paring it down and make it simpler. But nonetheless, having that, that questing element where you need an end game. Um, and so, again, I sort of fell into the, well, let's let's do the the positive thing. And I have, I have had some feedback where people said, you know, I quite like it when you get cross about stuff. It's, it, it doesn't have to all be sort of cloying nice. And I don't I don't ever lie. You know, if I'm struggled yeah. to say something nice, I will I will be honest about that. And I'm not afraid to say when a bit doesn't quite work. I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend that, uh, you know, that, that actor's giving a good performance when they're not or that special effect is good when it isn't. But I will try and find some beauty in it. Um, but uh, again, it's from going from being, you know, thinking, being cynical and, uh, you know, talking about how shit the world is, which which, again, is is, is quite rife in my profession um, to, to actually finding it, and, 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 and the value that is placed on cynicism and uh, snidiness and all of that. And, and finding as I get older, I value people like that less and I value more people that go out of the way to to make people feel good or feel happy or feel special and i try to now my philosophy in life is very simple now i you know i'm not i'm not a i'm not a this probably come across in this interview i'm not a, a particularly happy person i find it i i find it a struggle and always and always have and and that's why i fill my my life with with sort of endeavor and creativity because i'm in a in a happier place when there's a performative element or 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 or, or 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 something to um sort of make the noises go away if you if you like which which creativity does um or research does you know anything you know you've talked about you know the some people use do exercise um i used booze for for a very long time to something to distract from the the those those bits that sort of gnarl at the back of your head uh and um 
and I, I found, well, I actually find it quite sad. But now if, if somebody does something I like, I will send them a message. Um, uh, 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 or or, or if, if I notice something bad's happened to somebody or that their day could be improved if I just noticed it, I'll, I'll send them just sending somebody a Facebook message for no other reason than to make their day a bit better. Um, is 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 much more rewarding than going, Phew. yeah, art lift shit or or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and and I, I always think of um, for Paul Eddington's interview when he was very poorly, and they said, "What would you like your epitaph to be?" And he very humbly said, "He was a Quaker. You could sometimes learn from the Quakers." Um, but I'm too, I'm too vain, I think. Um, he 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 said um, he wanted his epitaph to be. He did very little harm, which I thought was a beautiful, a beautiful thing. As I say, I'm slightly too conceited. I want more than that. I want, I want people, <laughs> I want people to be, to be fond. I want people to be. I want people to. It's like when people say, oh, "I just want people to have a, a great time at my funeral." I want people to be in despair. I want people to be throwing themselves off cliffs. <laughs> um, but I, if <laughs> if if somebody, if my feeling is, if 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 somebody encounters me either via a podcast or in person uh or you know via an email or whatever or, or through some work that i have produced if if i if i can't make their day any better at least don't make it any worse um but try and make it better is is not a it's it's really hard to fulfill your ambitions and to have professional satisfaction and to as i say to make the noises go away but it's it's actually not that hard to make somebody else's day a bit better, even even to a even to a tiny degree, like that nice lady at the train station who said "Happy Birthday, Doctor Who fans." I've remembered that. How many years later? You know, she could be dead now. I don't know. I hope she's happy. But um, those are those are the actual things that you remember. Um, so, and I have had people say, and I find that very. T t I mean, as I say it baffles me well does it because i put it out there so i can't i can't think it's pointless you can it's weird isn't it with performers because i think you always worry about about being conceited and arrogant but you have this drive to show off you know what well, well, if but i i think sometimes people read that as as again as as people being sort of full of themselves or whatever but i don't think people would have to test if they were worth anything in front of an audience every night if they were secure in the knowledge that they were you know you, you know i think sometimes when people say comedians oh he thinks he's funny i think no most comedians just hope they're funny if you think you're funny you don't need to put it to the test you don't need to put it to the test every night um and uh i can't remember what question i was answering i don't think you even asked me a question see this is the problem it's just fucking noise um but uh yes if if the, i think as i as i say as i get older the less cynical and the more positive one can be. And if people like that, I, I met Kat Armitage for the first time, who'd given a who'd given a brilliant contribution to my my podcast, who's got such a lovely energy. Uh, and I met her for the first time at the Blue Dot Festival, where I dragged her there to to talk on a panel. And she'd taken her ages to get across there, and all weather was muddy and it was crappy. And uh, uh, and, and anyway, blessed. I felt so guilty for dragging all those people there. And um, and she was so lovely about moths at my Doctor Who scarf, which she'd come across at a time uh, where where it, it, it actually meant that it meant something to her. And and I I find that you know really flattering and and 
really nice. But that's not why I did it. <laughs> you know, that's not that's not what it was for. But uh, if that's happened by accident, that's great. And and I suppose that's what I'm I'm mindful of when I'm doing these podcasts is that yeah if you if you put something that's sort of joyful out there it doesn't mean i'm a joyful person or i'm an optimistic person but if you if you fucking try you it might just it might just work uh and 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 if it if it yeah if it makes people happy that's 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 good yes that, that wasn't the that you i don't think you even asked a question there well, I, I would like to respond to that though, because well, I think the one person that I know that um, <laughs> when they hear your voice, you know, they groan is my other half, and that's because, and this is no word of a lie, <laughs> at four o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep, um, I put on happy times and places because it's your voice that gives me a lot of comfort. Uh, uh, when I'm trying to chase away my demons and I and, and I don't want to overthink in the middle of the night, I'll put on a, a Doctor Who commentary of Happy Times and Places and it provides me with enormous comfort. Can I ask why? Because as I said, it's a, it's a, it's a bizarre... Because uh, it's been... It's, it's had much better sort of responses than I would have it, it, expected. Um, is it's a funny one because I, I mean, I just, it was deliberately designed that I didn't have to do any research for it because the other ones take, you know, indefinable magic takes a lot of writing. Um, and I really have to be in the right mood to do that. Too much information takes a lot of research and a lot of writing. So I needed one that I could just switch on record. I don't edit them. Or anything. I, I just bung them on and do. Um, so I think I, you know, I go off into, I think, I think I start some anecdotes that I don't finish. I start some observations Frequently. that I don't finish. Isn't that really annoying? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. And it's it's the personal anecdotes that you bring to it. It's your voice as well. Your voice is is very calming to listen to. But, but the other thing is what I like about yours, you see, is you've got a different guest every time, and it's the dynamic between you because it's two different voices. I'm doing something at the moment. You know I, I, I was I was pushing for a half hour running time and they went, no, no, because it's just going to be you talking. You can only have 15 minutes. I thought, fucking hell, they haven't heard some of my <laughs> podcasts then. <laughs> the trouble is, though, is when you have a different guest on each time. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting it does, but the quality can vary depending on your chemistry with that guest or whatever. There is a consistency to happy times and places that I love as well. And you yes you do go and you do half form thoughts and you you do expose vulnerabilities and all all of this combines because it is you and it's your reaction to doctor who it's a massive comfort you know so you can bat away all the other all the other uh, compliments but you can't with that one oh good well i, I did um, very little harm <laughs> <laughs> well i'll say this you make my day better Oh, good, and uh, and that's why I'm here today. Well, well, you and you're always very nice. It's always nice to get a message from you on Facebook, and uh, we chat away, don't we? Sometimes it's lovely. Uh, that's the beautiful thing about this. Uh, you know, I think that I think the to toxic end of fandom gets a lot of press, and rightly so, because we always we always you know worry about the things that we don't like. But there's actually huge amounts of positivity, and uh, you know, I have this social network I, do, I have to spend quite a lot of time here so i'm quite full on uh here you know uh at home and you know with you know the amount of time that 
home life takes doing things but you know a partner's disabled and so that takes up a, a lot of time and energy and stuff so it's 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 lovely that that you know on your phone you've you know or whatsapp will ping and it's uh it's it's mikey from uh from uh the quiz of rassilon or facebook will ping and it's a message from you and you just go oh i'm gonna enjoy this little uh back and forth about whatever it is that we're talking about and that's you know i find i and I actually i find that easier than you know social situations i'm not great in in i mean i'm again you probably wouldn't know that if you saw me in the pub so um, no. <laughs> but i but but it, it i i do find it difficult i find it dif more difficult now that i don't drink either so I've, I've had to sort of change uh people places and things and uh so so the internet has been actually very very useful uh uh for, for for that as well because it's easier and also you know when you email somebody it's not like phoning them up is it because they can answer when they want yeah um although that means that actor i emailed on wednesday who hasn't replied <laughs> i'm now thinking he hates me he told me to email TikTok. him I've got, his, I've got his number as well oh do i text him do i wait for him to email has it bounced uh do i need to email him again from a different address ah you know all of that well that that is the other wonderful thing about doctor who we've lauded doctor who to the high heaven in the last six hours but the one of the greatest things about it is it does bring people together that would never have met under any other circumstances yeah that's a glorious thing as well yeah yeah it is are it you is. are you bold enough to take on my final question oh yes <laughs> were you taking on all the others it, oh, sorry it's from the wonderful david is he david gp on Twitter. oh yes he's been on the missing episodes podcast recently doing the 10th planet he's got his own youtube channel where he's he great and his and his tweets are always fascinating he did a brilliant thing about the 10th planet, the the air duct that ben is in in the 10th planet which made you look at the set in a completely different way no uh, other fandom as <laughs> scrutiny no, like this absolutely no he's great uh so david asks of all the things you've done sorry is all the things you've been a part of professionally who comedy performing what is the piece of work that you're most proud of and which one has had the biggest impact well, that was quite a nice way to round this off Ooh. well i mean the one that's had the biggest impact is undoubtedly moth state my doctor who scar which um you you know started as a as an idea for for doing an, an edinburgh show and uh, was timed very well and and did better than i ever thought you know i thought some people might come and see it and might get a bit of traction but it got a radio spin-off and it went to the west end and it took me all over the world uh and it was it was good i mean it's funny because you but part of the, you know I, I i do have it uh and, and part of me thinks oh i'd like to put it out there but actually there's nothing in it that's offensive but it's still of its time in a way it's funny uh, you know, it it is now it's nearly twenty years old, for goodness sake. Um, uh, but but it uh, and 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 a lot of credit of that has to has to go to Mark, my director, who you know was the one that said you know don't swear in it, don't do any jokes that are about just about Doctor Who that don't reflect to somehow to your personal story. And he said simplify it and don't tell the jokes backwards and and have the time travel element that I had in it and all of that. Uh, and we had this whole bit that was the complete and utter history of Doctor Who in 15 minutes that was a, a, a sort of conversation I had with myself uh, that was hilarious to, to 
the first couple of times I did it and to me and him uh, and actually we abandoned the whole of that uh, and it became and it, and it became this this linear you know hero's journey kind of story if you like again keep it simple stupid um that was accidentally touched a nerve with a, far more people than we thought and it was the decision as well to make no joke only understandable to doctor who fans uh, and that was something that happened in the in the course of us doing it. So we, you know, we 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 did sort of tear up ideas and start again. And it was, you know, there was a there was a process of of of, of a lot of previewing and stuff. So it was hard one, but I I still was quite surprised. We got a four star review on the first day, uh, and we were off. And do you know that first day we had they basically the producer said, look, critics want to come, and if they don't come tonight. You might not get them till three weeks in the run because they want to come tonight because a lot of established acts don't let critics in on the first night. Um, so they'll, you know, they'll come to you now, but that doesn't mean they'll, they'll be able to come to you tomorrow if you say no. So I said, OK. And I put the word around and said, because I'd sold about eight tickets, you know, and said to friends, I might have critics in tonight. Please, could some of you come to swell the audience? So Robin Ince and Sarah Millican were in that first show because they were mates of mine who'd come to, to you, just be bodies in the audience so I, I, I got a sort of celebrity audience i mean sarah wasn't sarah wasn't sarah millican wasn't sarah millican then you know this was very early in her career but she bless her she came to that first show um and uh, and and i i was unknown to the world of doctor who I, you know my doctor who fandom it was the love that dare not speak its name i did as i said i didn't really have any doctor who fan friends i didn't really particularly wasn't sure I really wanted any. Um, seems mad now. I love the fact that most of my friends now are Doctor Who fans, and and the people whose company I seek now really are are Doctor Who fans. And even my my friends here. You know, when I go around the park, I walk with Tom Burgess, who's a he's a comedian, but he's a he's a Doctor Who fan. Um, I go for curry with a few boys uh, who are who are Doctor Who fans. Um, thanks to Rick the policeman who stopped me once. Uh, uh, I got out of his police car. Uh, when I just finished doing a gig in Preston, the last gig before Christmas, got the train back, was walking home. I would, I'd worn a Doctor Who scarf because it was snowing and I thought it was fun and it was coming up to Christmas and I thought, fuck it, yeah. And uh, I was just getting to Shez's flat and this police car stopped. This bloke gets out. Uh, this policeman. And he says, uh, I just want to thank you for all the work you do on the Doctor Who DVDs. Oh. And I was just made my Christmas. Yes. And, and then when I did the podcast where I was trying to find the kids from Coal Hill School and I didn't find the Kenneth Williams guy. It was him that emailed and said, oh, my my partner knows his widow because she runs the local pub to her mum and dad. So, Amazing. I mean, of all the people, I had about 70 listeners to my podcast at that point, and he was one of them. Um, and so he's become a great mate now, uh, Rick. Rick. Uh, uh, and so I see him and, and, and Peter Crocker seems to follow me about the country because when, <laughs> when I moved to London, he moved to London. And then when I got divorced and had to fuck off back here. He eventually uh, left London too and, and is now in this sort of neck of the woods. And he uh, uh, he sort of rescued me when my when my uh, marriage fell apart and stuff. And, and yeah, uh, yeah, he did. He rescued me. And uh, so he, I, see, you know, I see Peter a lot. And then I love, you know, I look forward to going to the BFI and seeing people like you. And, uh, and that's, you know, if I have a social occasion, it's probably that, you know. Uh, so um 
that and that's all as a result of Moth Saint, my Doctor Who scarf. But um, what I think why I'm proud of it is because it wasn't good because it was a Doctor Who show. It was a good show that just happened to be about Doctor Who. If it had been a nerky, geeky, what I wanted it to be originally, a party political broadcast for Doctor Who, it would have had a very short shelf life and it would appeal to a very small number of people. But I think it did a bit, bit more than that. Um, and it wasn't deliberate. It happened by mistake. Uh, I didn't plan it to be that way. And it happened by a sort of series of osmosis uh, and, and turned into something that, yeah, I think really worked. Um, and wouldn't work as well now. It was time. The timing was good as well. So was that, what was the two? One I'm proud of. So it was proud of and so I was just listening then. I put my pad aside. Uh it was I, I briefly forgot what the question was as well. Proud of like, and, proud of and had the biggest impact. Uh oh god, well I su- I suppose that that's both, is it? Oh god. Um has anything else I've has anything I've done had any I mean that that had an impact on that had a huge impact on my life and my career it's funny because i i had worried about being the declaring my love for doctor who because i thought well if i you know if i show that i'm a fan um will that stop me getting employed in certain areas and i thought well i'm not getting employed in those areas anyway (laughs) so so i may as i may as well um uh i hate to break it to you but i think the secret is definitely out now I think the secret is is out. Uh, um, so, yeah. So I, th- I mean, I think that covers. I think that covers both. But that's not to denigrate other things. I am. I am proud of looking for Peter because I think nothing else had been quite like that, and in, in in the range. And again, it worked better than we could have imagined. And again. Yeah, the idea was mine, but 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 it was it was it was it wouldn't have been the same had had Chris and Richard not weaved their magic into that. But I'm quite uh, I am quite proud of 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 that as as well. I I like the um I like the Who's Doctor Who revisited. I think we did something really interesting there. I think we really pushed the boat out, and the fact that it's so niche. A doctor, a documentary on the first documentary made about Doctor Who, <laughs> which again, I I didn't actually think it was a only Doctor Who. I didn't think it was a particularly in- good idea. I didn't think we'd be able to say that much that was interesting, and I didn't think viewers would be that interested. But actually, again, it's a connection to those people. There's something very humbling about meeting as adults those people you saw as kids. That's there's always something I think because the kid is kind of gone but is sort of there and makes you sort of think about life and and again the fact that they were all delighted and i love the fact that the the kid had been really dissing of doctor who in the documentary uh as a grown-up was really lovely and positive and he was really like i wish my younger self hadn't been like that i think doctor who's great and i think this is marvelous and it was really nice to go oh good he's lost he's lost that cynicism and he's a really nice and open and positive guy uh and and the, the, yeah so uh, uh, quite a few of the dvd things i'm 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 proud of but um but uh i think and and as an actor 
I did a production of Accidental Death of an Anarchist at the Edinburgh Fringe that went really well uh, and I thought would lead to brilliant things because uh, we got really good reviews, but I didn't realise you're supposed to network and invite agents yourself. <laughs> uh, and Midsummer Night's Dream at the Royal Exchange, in which I only played Snout and The Wall, uh, but they are they are they're good parts, they're funny parts. Um, but that was a company of really good actors, and it was a really good production, and it was a really happy time, and I I felt like a proper actor for for probably the first time, uh, and and is still a job I remember very very fondly, and 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 I love all the people who who are in that, and I'm still in touch with 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 pretty much all of them um although sadly we we lost our bottom lovely actor called tom hodgkins who, who died a couple of years ago um and uh there was even somebody from doctor who in it one of the old fairies was played by the guy who gets nudged by the bad sentry uh in episode three he was an extra in uh in the time warrior um andy abrams anyway um so yes all of those but i'm i'm still looking forward I'm still looking forward to the thing I will be proudest of and make the most impact. But for now, moths will do. God, I, I do go on. You, I could have just I, said, I could have just said, moths ate my Doctor Who scarf and shut the fuck up for <laughs> fifteen minutes. I'll never convince you. This is why we love you. <laughs> I, I just want to throw in there as well on your behalf that because you you mentioned as an actor and as a comedian and then da, 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 as a person. I think you should be very proud of your podcast as well and of the community that you built up there and the safe space for people to be there and and just the 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 positivity around that. I just think that's that's an enormous thing to be proud of. Well, I'm very lucky. I'm very grateful that that people, you know, the, the Patreon system is a is a I said it, I, I I did think it was perfect because of course it's lovely because nobody has to be there that doesn't want to be there. Uh, and people give what level of the support that they want and and people voluntarily sort of subsidize the arts as it were but they subsidize what their particular thing is what what a great system the only downside is of course that then somebody might cancel their subscription or whatever and you immediately take it massively personally even though they might just go i'm just having a break or i'm just a bit bored of that or i'm broke or whatever you go oh it must be something i said they hate me <laughs> um uh, so so it's, it's, there's always something that, but it is it is a great system and i am very fortunate that, that the people that seem to like my stuff are uh you know a, a really nice bunch it's you know it, it it means it's it's uh you know it means that i can put stuff out there and it will be received in the way that it is intended which is which is not the same in you know social media or or even you know when you put something on on, on telly or on the radio or whatever um there's something to be said for for filling a a niche it might be a, a smaller place but it perhaps it's it's a little more comfortable and i know that from having somebody who's in a you know who's who's whose working life is in something of much more mass appeal um it, it's it's you, you know that that brings with it it's uh you know we think doctor who fans are a, a particular bunch no that you know people the, 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 the you know people people are yeah yeah anything that you put out there is is it's always you're always dicing with uh you know people's responses which uh which which are not which are not necessarily particular to doctor who fans um so yeah no i'm very i'm i'm very fortunate with the whole patreon thing 
Well, I see, I see the comments that come in, on the, and it's all just positive, and it's all people engaging with what's coming in. It's it's a, a wonderful thing, Toby. It has been a delight oh, God, to talk no. to you tonight. <laughs> well, oh, you know, you know, I am a huge admirer of your work, but I am actually more proud of the fact that you and I have connected, and I can call you my friend. Well, absolutely. I do. I love, you know, I do enjoy talking to you. I love listening to your podcast and I think your, your is very flattering, but I can't, I mean, you've, I, I, I again, I mean, bless you for give, um, wanting to do this. And of course, I'm not going to say no, but, um, when well, I hope I'm, you know, I'm going to think about it now and go, oh, I should have not said that. I should be funnier at that. I, should I know you, I it. know. In fact, as you're saying things, I know, I'm almost know the things you're going to say. <laughs> tomorrow oh god i should that's oh should i no don't worry i i know for a fact that these are going to be in my top 10 most listened to episodes so it's a win-win for me i had a great night with you I and mean, my numbers are going to be great too oh well um well i mean that's really nice um i'm i'm glad i'm i'm you know as as i say lovely to chat to you it's very easy to talk about stuff i've done and uh, uh and i'm very grateful to all the nice people out there who say nice things. And you'll be back on Hamster. Oh, yes. Aren't we going so to do a double bill? We are going to do a double bill of two absolutely absolute classics. Midnight and the Waters of Mars. I think two absolute bangers, as the critics <laughs> say. <laughs> yeah. So I'll say until next time, uh, where we get to talk about those. But thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Joe.